Nehemiah chapter 4 this morning, if you have a Bible with you. Nehemiah 4. We are in the third week of our series called Build and Defend. A quick recap in case you have missed a few weeks or forgotten where we've been. But in week one, we asked that, we asked that initial question of have you ever had a deep burden for something? That when Nehemiah saw that something was broken and that something needed fixed, he paid attention to that tension that was inside of him. And we asked you in week one to, to identify what is, what is a burden that God has placed on your heart. Because God uses people who have a burden. And when believers act on burdens, they make a difference. In part two, we saw that Nehemiah, he waited on the Lord in faith. That Nehemiah had the faith to pray. He had the faith to then ask for what it was that he needed to accomplish the work that God had called him to do. And he took time to investigate what was broken, what was in ruins, and what needed fixed. He developed a plan And we saw last week in chapter 2 that Nehemiah encountered his, his, his critics, that there were those who criticized the work that God had put on his heart. But we also see the incredible burden that, that bled into the hearts of the people in the city in Jerusalem. And they join in and they, they are challenged, but, but we learned that powerful faith often comes with a plan. That we have to take time to pray. We have to take time to wait, to sit in what it is God wants us to do and listen for his voice and his leading before we act. We have mentioned before that a, that a strong, secure city would, would have been surrounded by protective walls during this time in history. And the wall around Jerusalem was, was broken down. It was in ruins, but not for long. Nehemiah and his team have now started construction on these walls, and the issues will begin. In today's text, we're going we're to see our two antagonists again, Sanballat and Tobiah. And Nehemiah's work has, has now caught their attention, and they have no plans to allow this work to just continue. They cannot be successful. I can hear Sanballat and Tobiah right now as they have their meeting before they, they approach the people of Jerusalem. I can see them right now. We've got to stop this work. They cannot build these walls. And there's a reason for this. They wanted to keep the Jews weak. They wanted to keep the nation of Israel dependent on them. In a way, the Jews were dependent on the surrounding nations due to the depleted resources and the dilapidated condition of the city. If they were to get these walls built, and, and we know based on if we've read ahead that they do, they will develop then strong leadership. They will restore worship that has been broken. And this would empower the nation of Israel to once again be a dominant force in the world. 
And that was a problem for Israel's enemies. It was a consistent problem for the enemies of Israel throughout the Old Testament. And and not just for the other nations, but it was also a problem for our two antagonists, for Sanballat and Tobiah, because they would now lose some of their power and they would lose some of their wealth and their influence. You see, the enemy doesn't, in my opinion, really care when things are going badly for us. But when things are going well, you better be ready because the attacks will come. Nehemiah's enemies didn't want to see these people succeed. He didn't want to see the things that that we know happen. He didn't want to see those things happen. And our enemies, along with our greatest enemy, Satan, they don't want us to win or to follow God's plan for our lives either. See, when we encounter opposition, it's often a clear sign, not always, but it's often a clear sign that we're doing something that matters. But during these seasons of opposition and attack, we can grow, and we, we've experienced that and I, in our own lives, I believe. But Nehemiah, he rose up during these seasons of opposition, and he kept going with the work that God had called him to do. But we do see a slight change in our text today. It goes from being Nehemiah's individual burden, it went from being this thing that was weighing him down to being a collective burden of the people. Now we see a group of people who are going to work together. Nehemiah had clearly communicated the need he had, he had cast a, a compelling vision to the people and he had laid out the plan and the people have now bought in and they are now busy working. And you can see this kind of laid out in chapter three where he, he talks about the people who are stationed at certain places along the wall and the jobs that they would be doing. And the same is gonna go for us as we study this text together that we must have a collective burden for the things that matter to God. The things that, that would break his heart. Issues of sin, lost people around us, the brokenness that we see in relationships and in marriages and in families and in churches, all of the above. And in chapters four and six, we're gonna see many different strategies that the enemy will use to stop the work. We'll see things like war plans, mockery, discouragement, selfishness, fear, threats, even slander will be on display to stop the work. But Nehemiah is going to stand firm in the face of this opposition. Clearly, the influence of God's enemy, Satan, is present here in the story of Nehemiah just like it is for us in our day. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 2 that we are not ignorant of his designs, of his devices, of his schemes, that Satan is all over this storyline and he's all over your storyline. And it's a great lesson for us that we must be a ready people. 
There will be opposition. In Nehemiah chapter 4, it kicks off with something that no one likes, and it's this issue of of mockery and ridicule. Look at verse 1. Now when Sanballat heard that they were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? This is just bleeding with mockery and ridicule. It can be seen all over the Bible, but this is just one of those moments. You can just see Sanballat and Tobiah. They're just taunting the people. We see this in David and Goliath. We see that Jesus was mocked and he was scorned by the Pharisees and the thief on the cross. We see that mockery was, was, is present in so many situations and it can be present for us when we do anything that goes against the world's systematic. You see, Sanballat and his crew had already started railing on Nehemiah and the people before they even started working. They showed up last week. And I'd imagine that they did this to intimidate them, to discourage them from starting. But, but one thing is certain. They didn't want the work to start. They must have believed that this tactic was going to be effective. But the people of, of Israel, the people in this city, they started their work anyways. And they continued with their threats. Sanballat minimizes the workers. He will minimize the work that they are planning to do, and he will even mock the materials that they're going to use. He calls them feeble. This word in the original language, it communicates this idea that these people are weak or that they're withered or just straight up miserable people. Of course, this doesn't actually describe them because they're actually doing something that matters. And what Sanballat didn't know and what the world often cannot understand is this, is that God is powerful and he uses the weak to accomplish his work all the time. This was a spiritual thing. This was not just a physical thing. When we are weak, he is strong. So then Sanballat will then attack the work. He taunts them. He says, will they restore it for themselves? And maybe, maybe the others who were with Sanballat, maybe they laughed out loud at this moment. And they, they pointed and, you know, this idea of jeering at them. I'm sure you can hear it. These feeble Jews, oh my goodness, they could never accomplish this. They could never even hope to build these walls. We are much more powerful than they are. Will they, will they follow through with this? Maybe they wonder. And to the enemy, they may be thinking it's going to take more than prayer and faith to be successful in building these walls. But Sambalot doesn't know God. Nor does he believe God is going to help them. They won't even finish a day, he says. They don't know how big of a job this is. And then he wraps it up by attacking the supplies that they're planning to use. The stones come from old heaps of rubbish. It says, will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? It's like that little jab he just has to poke in there, you know? No, they were not supplied with the finest materials. 
But Nehemiah was working with what he had, and it would be more than good enough. So Tobiah, he has to jump in and, and make his jabs as well. So he, he mocks the finish. He mocks the quality of the job. In verse 3, it says, Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. No army will be needed to take this down. A fox could do it. So how does Nehemiah respond to all of this ridicule and mockery and and taunting? Uh, It's not groundbreaking. With prayer. Verse 4. Hear, O God, for we are despised, he says. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. So he's rubbing it back in their face there. He's a little sarcastic, maybe. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. I wish I could say that's how I always respond when I'm opposed or when attacks come my way. But Nehemiah clearly made prayer a huge part of his life. This is the third time that it shows up in the storyline, and it won't be the last time that Nehemiah is going to go to the Lord in prayer. He prayed and he kept working. He didn't stop to respond to their taunts. God's going to deal with these people. He knows it. And Nehemiah was praying for God's glory and success in this mission anyways. And that should be our posture today as well. That when people attack us and when people hurt us, we can let that that settle far too deep into our hearts. And it can wreak havoc in our minds. We know this. We've seen it played out. We have to control our minds as Philippians chapter 4 tells us to do and not, not allow Satan to get too much of a foothold or a stronghold into our hearts. Listen, the best advice that I could give you today under any season of opposition and attack is simple. It's to pray. Give it to God and keep on working. That if you give up on doing the work that God has called you to do, it will only then aid the enemy's mission. Verse 7 continues, But when Sambalot and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. You see, enemies will unite and they will work together when their cause is in danger. That's what we see here in this text with Nehemiah and the people of Jerusalem. Several different groups are now coming together and they're going to work in unity and they're going to try to stop Nehemiah and his team from rebuilding the wall. They plot and they plan a major attack on the people working to rebuild the walls. They hate the Jews. They they hate God. And Satan hates God's people. He hates you. And that shouldn't be a surprise to us today. And it's certainly no secret God's people sometimes struggle to work together. 
But those who are opposed to the work of God will come together and stop at nothing to stand in our, and more importantly, in God's way. You see, when enemy resistance comes, eternal resolve will overcome it. Once again, Nehemiah responds by immediately directing the people to pray. And then he takes a serious step and he puts guards in place in verse 9. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. I love this. This is one of my favorite parts of this entire book. They didn't just pray and do nothing else. They didn't just sit around and pray for hours and days and weeks. No, they prayed and they set a guard. No one would call Nehemiah a pacifist. I mean, this dude was focused. And we're going to see later in verse 17 that, that they held a sword in one hand while they work with the other hand. That is a wonderful picture for us today. We see a combination of determination and defense here. Keep your eyes open. Keep your eyes open, don't stop working, pray, and be ready to fight if necessary. Colossians 4.2 says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. See, most often we're not, we're not called to physically fight with other humans. Our fight is usually with the unseen world with Satan and his influence on the world. And that's, that's what we're called to do. We work with one hand and we stand against the enemy with the other hand using the tools that God has given each and every one of us. We all have the same set of tools. We all have the same weapons when it comes to standing against the enemy and his opposition. We see those in Ephesians 6. You know them very well. Finally, Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, and to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints." We are sure to lose the battle if we don't remember the enemy that we really need to fight is the unseen enemy. He is active. He's trying to steal, kill, and destroy. And in verse 10, we see that another tool of the enemy is discouragement. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble by ourselves. We will not be able to rebuild the wall. When we take our focus off of the Lord, discouragement will soon follow. We start looking at all of our failures and our, and our problems and all of the issues that, that seem to be present. 
Maybe these workers were, maybe they were letting the words of the enemy have too much power in their minds. It's possible. Sanballat and his gang are calling them feeble. Maybe that got to them. Maybe it wore them down. Sanballat had made a promise that the work was going to stop and it almost did. Maybe all those things were at play in this story. But something else I wonder is this, is why were the people of Judah being so negative? The other tribes were helping with the mission. People who had nothing to do with the battle uh, background of these people here, Judah, the tribe of Judah. I mean, think about this. The people of Judah, they were, they had war in their history. They were a strong people. They were David's people. And we see in chapter 6 and chapter 13 here in Nehemiah that they were actually working or they were going as far as to work with the enemies. It's interesting. You see, some traitors were in the camp. And this was actually the result of, of intermarriage and the love for wealth. And this intermarriage, it, 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 had, it had nothing to do with skin color or ethnicity or culture. It had everything to do with their faith. This is why God makes it clear in his word that we're not to marry outside of our, our faith system. It confuses things. But that's another message, obviously. But Nehemiah kept on with his work. And he didn't seem to pay too much attention to these complainers. And that's a great example for us, that we will never get anything done if we spend all of our time listening to those who simply want to stop the work that God has called you to do. I'm going to say that again. You will never get anything done. Right, Matt? You'll never get to the mission field if you listen to all the people who say you shouldn't have gone. But God put a burden on their heart. They can't stay. They can't stay here. They have to go. See, Nehemiah drew strength from the Lord through prayer and remembering the promises of God. Let's keep going with verse 11. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us 10 times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. You see, in the face of all of this conflict and all of this opposition and the continued threats, Nehemiah could see that fear was becoming an issue for the people. So he identifies the most vulnerable spots along the wall, along the construction site. He places guards to provide protection. This would send a message that they were ready to stand their ground if they needed to. This wasn't just for the strong bodybuilder type either. Entire families were armed and they were ready to stand and fight together. You see, when we decide to act on our burdens, it doesn't only affect us. Sometimes we need the dedication and commitment of those that we love the most. So Nehemiah will point the people once again back to the Lord in verse 14. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers 
your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Don't be afraid, Nehemiah says. Look to the Lord for help. Remember what he's done. He is with us and he will fight for us. And this God was strong enough to help them and see them succeed. And that last part of verse 14, it reminds us that we don't just fight to fight. There is a reason. They fought for their families, the nation, and for the city. But ultimately, they fought for God's glory. If they didn't build, if they were not willing to fight, what would happen to God's people and his plan of redemption? And like these people, we must remind ourselves of God's goodness and his greatness, especially when we face opposition and fear. David is a great example of that in in 1 Samuel chapter 17 when he goes up against Goliath. We can be confident in the greatness of God when we face trouble. He will see us through. In our text today, the enemy backs off when they hear that the people are prepared to fight. So are you ready? Verse 15, our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan. We all returned to the wall, each to his work. God frustrated their plan. There is no need to be afraid. We have God on our side. And this work can't be stopped every time someone makes a threat. Let me say that again. The work cannot be stopped every time someone makes a threat. If I asked you to raise your hand this morning, if you've had to live out that kind of faith, I bet more of us than not would have personal experience with opposition. And this this fight to get out of the, the work that God's called us to do. You see, when enemy resistance comes, eternal resolve overcomes. So Nehemiah develops a plan that would help them move forward. Verse 16, from that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped to his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. So half the men worked while the other half stood guard. And even those who were working carried weapons in one hand. No interruptions. No interruptions. We've got work to do. Work would continue, and if they needed to fight, they would be ready to stop in an instance and jump in and do what needed to be done. And I said to the nobles and the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread. And we are separated on the wall, far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. If they heard the trumpet sound, then it was go time and they would be ready. And verse 20 ends with the best part. Our God will fight for us. I love that. Even though they would do their human physical part to fight and work, Nehemiah makes it clear that God would be the one who would truly be the one fighting for them. I can't tell you how how many times I've had to remind myself of that truth in the last 12 months. That God will fight for me and he will fight for you. 
So we labored at the work, and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. And I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I, nor my brothers, nor my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. So a night shift was started. Men would guard the city at night because during the night, the cover of night is when most attacks come. We see this in Matthew 13, that we must be on guard. They didn't even change their clothes. No cozy flannels or slippers for them. They were battle ready. They stayed alert. You see, when enemy resistance comes, eternal resolve overcomes. Listen, in the midst of opposition, even when it's really hard, don't quit. Nehemiah and his team, they they kept building, and we have no idea what hangs in the balance of our decision to embrace the burden that God has put in our hearts. We have no idea what God wants to do through us. You have no idea what God wants to do through you. We have no idea what God wants to do through us as his people here at West Hill. Our mission is simple, is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a kingdom mission. It's a mission that we can't accomplish without him, without prayer, without being ready to fight the battles that we need to fight. But it's a mission that has eternity in mind. We long to see people come to Jesus and then grow in their relationship with him. And that's a mission that matters to our Heavenly Father. And so when enemy resistance comes against that kind of mission, the eternal focus and the eternal resolve will overcome. It always does. And it always will. And so what's the burden that God has put on your heart? I'm going to keep asking that question. What is it that keeps you up at night? Does it matter for eternity? Are you doing a work that brings him honor and brings him glory? I hope it is. Heavenly Father, we are thankful this morning and we are grateful for who you are. Lord, we are needy people. Lord, we need you to fill us with your spirit. We need you to empower us to do the work that you've called us to do. We simply just need more of you and less of us. So God, I pray that you would use us as your people in this world, in this community, in this church, in our families, that we would be people who stand firm on the truth of your word and on the gospel, and that we'd be people of faith that are willing to follow you and your lead in our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.